Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So, we have roast lamb and barbecue fish. I would say that these are probably two of my favourite foods, period, okay? So, roast lamb. I just love roast lamb. And uh, I went to see Andy Bradley a couple of years ago at Costa's at Tesco uh, one morning. And I always go past the cheap bit just to see if there's anything on offer. And there was six, five legs of lamb reduced from £18 to £4 or £3.80. So, no, no, at Tesco. So I basically went and got a basket and it was like... And I went in to see Andy and Costa Coffee with... So I went home two of them in the freezer to roast, the rest cut up so that I could make kebabs for the whole summer. So people who came to our house just feasted on lamb kebabs. Very, very nice. One Christmas, I remember doing three legs of lamb on a boxing day for people. I just love lamb. You can see that, can't you? Just... And uh, fish. I... Uh, we got invited to someone's house the other week and they were going to cook us some sea bass. And I said, if it's Mary and myself, if it's not in batter for Mary, <laughs> then actually it doesn't work. And so basically that was the end of sea bass. <laughs> but I actually love it and I'm allowed to cook it outside because... Um, there it is. So barbecue and sea bass for me in the summer, fabulous. And uh, some nice trout. So basically, these are, I would say, I mean, I had an Indian gelfrazi last night, which is pretty high on my kind of eating list. But I would say these two are the top for me. And basically, this morning... We're going to start by Jesus hosting a meal with roast lamb. And we're going to finish by him barbecuing a meal of fish on the beach. So hosting and cooking. I did wonder, and I, was, I thought, I will ask this. What do you think if you didn't like fish and Jesus was cooking it? <laughs> it's a bit of a conversation. I, I just thought to myself, I can't have it without batter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, I just couldn't resist. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it? If you're fussy eaten, I mean, we're not fussy eaters in us, actually. But 
society is a very, very kind of, especially in our generation, basically very, very fussy eater. What's it going to happen when Jesus is cooking the food in that great and glorious day when he comes again and he's going to host every single one of us? Hands up, who likes? <laughs> I am not quite sure it's going to be like that. Anyway, let's get on. It's, uh, that's my little bit of an intro. Um, to actually what we're going to do and talk about Mark's, uh, the, the carrying on in Mark's gospel. And uh, last week, you did the Last Supper, which effectively um, was, um, says Jesus sending his disciples into a city and uh, asking them to prepare the Last Supper so that they could eat together. And that was your kind of um, last week's kind of sermon. And we're going to pick it up um, as they're actually leaving this uh, amazing time. This time when he basically used the bread and used the wine and just said, this is absolutely going to be my body and my blood. And you're going to do this in remembrance of me. It was a, a massive time of commitment. You can imagine, he talks about the new covenant. Covenant is a massive word of commitment. And so they're eating together, drinking together, sharing life together and at the end of it they leave um, and um, it says this they in mark uh, 14 26 then they sang a hymn and went out to the mount of olives and so this kind of then brings us to where we are now and what we're going to look at now is the journey out of that feast and that event and what happens next and we're going to look at three things that uh, that were kind of expressed on this journey and there's kind of three opposites we're going to look at fear and love pride and humility and shame and mercy these kind of six things three opposites all came out in a brief conversation as they journeyed from this roast lamb meal. So let's look at the first one, fear and love. It, but, and, uh, Jesus on the way, it says in Mark 14, 27, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me, for the scripture says God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will <coughs> be scattered. So he's, Jesus is quoted from an Old Testament uh, scripture and basically saying, look, you're all going to be scattered. As I am slain, as I am uh, stricken, you will be uh, uh, scattered away. And uh, it's interesting that... that uh, Fear was the kind of thing that would have got in to these uh, disciples. And uh, Peter, we'll see, basically immediately was the bravado brave. I'm not afraid. But actually, something in them understood that something momentous was going to happen um, at, this, uh, at this time. And so... 
uh, we see also not only that fear, and we'll see how that uh, progressed as we go through and how it manifests itself, but also we see that actually mixed with this fear was amazing love. So the fear of the disciples was kind of contrasted with what Jesus said this. He says, but after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus knowing that actually they're going to completely desert him. They're going to fall away. They're going to deny him. They're going to actually be, in a sense, the most unfaithful friends that you could have. Actually said, look, knowing all that, I'm still going to go ahead of you. I'm going to actually meet you in Galilee. And it's hard to understand how the disciples understood this. It's because we know now, we look, we look back, we have communion, we read the Bible, we understand the kind of whole story. They just were trying to grapple with totally mixed emotions. Jesus had also said at the Last Supper, one of you is going to completely deny me. And they weren't even quite sure who that was, actually. They, they, although Judas had gone out, they, it was a load of things happening to them. So, first of all, we've got to see love, fear. Then we see pride and humility. Because in verse 14, 29, sorry, chapter 14, it's, Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never. Um, just So first, second thing here is that pride raises itself in Peter. And he's basically saying, look, all these others, they may run away. There's a hint of comparison there, you know. They may run away, but I never will. So the pride to start with of comparison is a massive thing for a lot of us. The world is full of comparisons. You either comparison, compare yourself inferior to somebody or you compare yourself superior to somebody. And we see a lot of mental health issues, a lot of life is actually born out by comparison. You know, do I look like that person? Am I as intelligent as that person? Am I as good as that person? And uh, the pride of comparison. And for Peter, he actually was not comparing himself with Jesus. He was comparing himself with the other ten. And basically saying, I am better than they are. <laughs> He lived his life as a disciple, I think, feeling actually he was the strong one. He was the brave one. He was the one with the sword. <laughs> he was the one that cut off an ear. And so pride was raising its head. And you know, sometimes pride raises its head in difficult times. <laughs> in times that actually it shouldn't do. Then we see a, the pride of arrogance. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me <coughs> three times that you even knew me. And 
uh, no, Peter declared emphatically. So here's Jesus going to Gethsemane, going to the cross, and actually Peter is arrogant enough <laughs> to say, you are wrong, Jesus. You know, at the early part of his three years, you'd think, okay, he'll get away with it. But actually, three years on, he still felt he knew better than Jesus. It's a massive statement, isn't it? You know, he really should have said, said Jesus, how can I avoid doing this? <laughs> that would have been the kind of humble, the, the gracious thing to say. The, but he was, no, I'm actually better than you, Jesus. I understand that I, this is not going to happen to me. And then we see the pride of self-confidence. It says in Mark 14, 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. <laughs> even if I die, here's Peter, he, he's kind of in a hole and digging. And that's what arrogance does sometimes. It actually, you just keep digging. Proverbs 16, 18, the message paraphrase says this, first pride, then the crash, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. First pride, then the crash, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And we're going to see that in Peter. That actually, the bigger his ego, the bigger his pride, actually, the bigger the, the fall. So Jonathan Edwards, he was um, uh, a theologian. He was, uh, in the, he was a revivalist in the uh, uh, time of the Wesleys. He saw a massive uh, revival in, uh, in New England, in uh, USA. And uh, he says this about pride. Pride is a person having too high an opinion of himself. Pride is the first sin that ever entered into the universe and the last sin that is rooted out. Okay? So the devil, that was pride. That's where it was rooted in. Pride is the worst sin. It is the most secret of all sins. There is no other matter in which the heart is more deceitful and unsearchable. Alas, how much pride the best has in their hearts. Pride is God's most stubborn enemy. There is no such sin, so, there is no sin so much like the devil likes as pride. It is secret and subtle sin and appears in a great many she, uh, shapes which are undetected and unsuspected. So basically what's said is in the heart pride is there. And actually, you can, you can hide it. Peter struggled to hide it because he opened his mouth before he engaged his brain quite regularly, which, you know, some of us do. <laughs> okay? So his pride was on the outside there. But a lot of us, it's easy to hide it. You can actually think lots of thoughts. You can compare yourself with other people. And you just keep it to yourself. But actually, it's, as Jonathan Edwards says, deep-rooted. And it actually was the root of sin, actually. The devil thought he was greater than God. He wanted to be greater than God. He said to Adam and Eve, he said to those first people, do you want to be like God? 
There's this kind of pride, comparison, and self-confidence. So basically, you can see Jesus. How did he react to that? I would be reacting very, very, it would, angrily, I think. Yeah, and that's what happens with pride. and It produces anger, doesn't it? It produces a reaction in people. But Paul said this, writing years later about this event. He says this in Philippians 2.5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Paul, basically talking about this journey, said actually it was the walk of humility which Jesus was walking to the cross. And so you basically get this contrast of the disciples and the sin that is so prevalent in us, the sin that's rooted in humanity, coming out of fear of pride. And we see Jesus full of love, full of humility. And then we also see full of mercy. And we see these two contrasts of shame and mercy. Jesus said, as I started at the beginning, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus knew that the disciples would be full of shame. You know, shame is a big thing. It's a big thing in society. It's, it's something that actually is, gets rooted in us. Could you imagine as the disciples went back after the death of Jesus to their day jobs, <laughs> to what they knew, which was fishing for some of them. The tax collectors, I think they couldn't go back to their day job. I don't know what they did. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think the Romans wouldn't want them <laughs> and, the, and the Jewish people definitely. But for Peter, James and John, the, the fishermen, they could go back to the living that I guess their parents and their were, were still doing. But it says this, Simon Peter said in John 21, 3, I'm going fishing. And the others said, we will come too. And so they got in the boat and they caught nothing all night. I don't know if you've ever stayed up all night after you've done something wrong or you've made a decision that's gone a bit belly up for you, <laughs> you know, and, or, and you've just done the what if, <laughs> or is it just me that has done that? And I tell you this, four o'clock in the morning is probably the worst time to be mulling on a bad decision. <laughs> just, it's like the world comes crashing in. It's like there's a darkness there. 
Have you been there? You know, that it's like it just, and you are just wrestling with shame or with a bad decision and thinking, if only I didn't do that or spend the money on that, you know, or say that or take that job. <laughs> if only. And I say, you can deal with it four in the afternoon much better than you can deal with it at four in the morning. <laughs> when you're tired, you're on your own, in your own thoughts, in your own world. Could you imagine what Peter and the disciples on that boat were thinking? There's no fish. <laughs> it's boring. I used to fish a little bit when I was a kid. There are, now, if you're a fisherman, you think you're probably a different world. But for me, there was nothing more boring <laughs> than no fish. Because okay? it's like a lonely world. And you can imagine these disciples in their own thoughts. What if? Can you imagine Peter reliving? He, he, he probably helped Mark write the gospel. He was probably one of the sources. So you can imagine as he's reliving, telling this story about how he told Jesus I will never deny you. He's reliving those steps right through the night. You know, the shame that gets into you is massive. The dictionary says this, shame is the painful emotion caused by a, by a consciousness of guilt or shortcomings or impropriety. Okay? Those disciples had all of those. The thesaurus says this, shame, like words are embarrassment, dishonour, humiliation. That's basically where these disciples were. And uh, I, I believe that carrying shame is one of the hardest things to deal with. It's just roots in there, doesn't it? Just gets in, into your system, gets into your, in, I say near to your bones, but it's just part of, and it's, and I would say for a lot of society, they're carrying massive shame. And in the church, unfortunately, people carry shame. What if? What if I'd done this? And that paralyzes you in the end. It actually is a terrible thing. And so we see shame and mercy because it says Jesus kept his word and was there on the beach. At, G at, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, have you caught any fish? <laughs> you know, sometimes... The obvious is not a nice thing. <laughs> have you caught any fish? They shouldn't have been fishing, and they were. You know, have you ever been asked a question and you think, it's obvious, you know? And I would think this kind of compounded <laughs> what they were feeling. And uh, 
Then he said to them, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I don't know what they thought, because at that point, they didn't recognise this was Jesus. But somehow, they decided, let's do it. Let's just throw it out on the other side of the net. The, the mercy of Jesus <laughs> to actually reveal himself in their success is massive. I think it's not the way we do it. We don't actually deal with shame sometimes by helping people to have success. We tend to deal with it by helping people feel more guilty. <laughs> do you know? It's almost like, but Jesus, just put the net out on the other side. <laughs> have a go. Go about it. And then it says in John 21, 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the boat and headed to the shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled and loaded the net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Wow. Jesus, that's just amazing, isn't it? He, he's cooking the food for them. <laughs> They're getting off the boat. He's probably cold now, Peter. He's been through the night. He's now swum to the shore. And there is a cooked breakfast for him. See, shame and mercy. The mercy of God. <laughs> the love of God. The death of our Christ. <laughs> Actually, there's massive restoration, massive forgiveness. But for Peter, we know that he couldn't receive that forgiveness very easily. So that's the thing with shame. Even when you're being given forgiveness, it's hard actually to not do the what-ifs. Do you know? You can be forgiven and you're not forgiving yourself. You can be forgiven and still living with recriminations. And I don't know if you've been like that. You can be in a Sunday meeting and you can be praying and worshipping about the God who is the God of the great sacrifice for our sins, that we are free and we can love God. And internally you are living with shame and recrimination. You, have you ever been like that? You, declaring on one hand <laughs> and internally processing something completely different. And you get the feeling that was Peter. There was his Lord giving him breakfast. And yet somehow, I think he had written himself off for ministry for the rest of his life. He was happy because he was with Jesus. But all that Jesus had said to him, that you're the rock, you will be a fisher of men, <laughs> you'll be an apostle. 
You can imagine Peter feeling like, okay, it's good enough that I can actually eat with Jesus. <laughs> it's good enough that I can have breakfast with him. And so Jesus has to take him through a process, which is, do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you really love me? <laughs> Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you hear this? Can you see what's happening here? The mercy of God isn't just leaving it as head knowledge. <laughs> Not just leaving us on a beach. <laughs> Restored, forgiven. But actually feeling like, what if I hadn't done it? my life would be different. Actually, no. The mercy and the grace of God totally restores us, totally puts us back together, totally deals with the what if. <laughs> and I've had tons of what ifs. I've bought houses. I've started things. <laughs> I, I, could give you, I, I could give you a kind of catalogue of what ifs. A few months ago, I had a prophetic word. I said this to the guys in Lady Bond by Mike Pilavachi. And I, you know, I was thinking to myself, 64 years old, or coming up to 64, is it, can I do what I feel like God said to do? And, and he, he picked me out of a crowd and he said, he said, you're trying to start things. You're a, a starter of congregations and he said I hope this is right and he said you've got confidence in God but you've lost confidence in yourself and that's, that is you've got confidence that God can do it you're not sure about yourself and that's the whole thing of what we can worship a God of the universe I actually know in the end it will all come good, but we're not confident that we are going to fulfil all that God has got for us. Do you, are you, have you been there? Do you, do you understand that? It's like when the disciple, when the, the guy who came up to Jesus and said, I, I have faith, help my unbelief. You, that contrast of, I really have faith, but I'm not quite sure you can do it for me. I believe you can do it for everybody else and somehow I'll be okay but I'm not sure <laughs> because of the what-ifs. Because if I'd made different decisions, things would... And Jesus wants to restore us to get rid of the what-ifs. Because Jesus, as, as Mike Pilavachi said to me, he said, it was not just a dream and your own idea. It was God's idea. <laughs> and it's like, if, if it's God's idea, then it will happen. You know, I, there was something so... A lot of my friends who knew me just kind of ran up to me. I, and because they just knew. This was God moment. This was a Peter moment on the shore. Not only believing that God could, but God would with me. It starts with roast lamb, <laughs> the sacrificial lamb. 
it finishes with this great feast on the last day when Jesus is going to host and cook for each one of us as we meet him in the sky. That great and glorious day. The best meat, the best wine, the best food. It's glorious. <laughs> Makes you want to worship. And it gives you confidence that he who began a good work in you, with all the what-ifs, will complete it. Let's stand. We're going to break bread. And that bread, we often think about it in the upper room there on the Passover day. But you know what? Let's think about it also as the barbecued fish. Because <laughs> we're remembering back to the death of Christ. And we're actually remembering the coming of our Christ again. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna to welcome us with a banquet. That's why food is so important to CCM. <laughs> and why I very rarely go to a meeting that hasn't got any. <laughs> and it uh, doesn't do your weight any good, but boy, it does your fellowship and your relationships because it's something about Christ in the midst of his people let's break bread together <laughs>